Oh, we have a show going on right now. And I understand that the audiences have been pretty good. And I would say, if you're going to come next weekend, and if you hadn't, you need to, because it's a really good production, you might want to go ahead and get your tickets, because uh, I, I know they had at least one sellout this afternoon. Both, so, both, both shows sold out this Yeah, so you might want to go ahead and do that. Um, good morning. I've got a whole lot to say this morning, so I'm glad that nobody else really had much that they wanted to talk about. Uh, <laughs> When they, when they got up here, uh, but we're going to need to get on our horse and ride. Would, would you stand with me? We're going to read a couple of verses. Uh, they're not contiguous, but they both fit. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that is in your word. And I pray, Father, that every person here would find that life. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you are old enough to know who this guy is. Uh, Yeah. Um, His name is Jack Benny. And uh, he had a couple of shticks that he did. He He was a comedian. Uh, he had a couple of things that he was sort of known for. One of them was his age. That's right. He was 39, and he never changed. It didn't, in fact, he was 39 when that picture was made. And he was 39 40 years later when they buried him or whatever. One of the, one of the routines that he would do is he'd do a routine where he's being, where he's being held up. Uh, and a guy would go, your money or your life. And, uh, and he wouldn't say anything. And he'd go, your money or your life. He wouldn't say anything. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> uh, and that's more than most people do. Let's think about it. I had a friend from Zimbabwe who came over uh, probably 25 years ago. And, oh, by the way, Kenny and Cheryl, uh, you guys, you stayed with me. <laughs> Through the whole thing. That's great. Uh, but uh, a friend who came over, Peter McKenzie, and he, and he made a statement that when, when he first said, I thought, ooh, that's, that's kind, of, uh, kind of deep. And, and it is. It's thought-provoking, but I, I don't necessarily agree with it anymore. But, but what he said was, your money is your life. And, uh, and, and at first I thought, well, yeah, there is some truth to that. But, the, but in, in actuality, if your money is your life, then you have a very impoverished life. You, you, don't, you don't have much of a life. But in our culture, money often represents uh, the results of your work, uh, which is the result of the time that God has given to you, the talent God has given to you, the energy God has given to you, the intelligence God has given to you. That's... That's how, that's how you got that money. That's how you got that ability to work. If we do not intentionally put money in its proper place in our lives, then it will put us in a place that we were never intended to go. Let me say that again because that was really, really good. Uh, if we do not intentionally put money in its proper place in our lives, then it will put us in a place that we were not created to to live in. And in terms of having a, a better life, an abundant life, life to the full, ain't going to happen. 
There are three keys to doing this. And the first one is simply this. It's think like a manager. Uh, look, look at it this way. There's, uh, there, are, there are really three different ways you can, you can approach money or the way you handle money. Uh, and think of it as a ladder. And the bottom rung on that ladder, the, the bottom feeder is a consumer. I get money so that I can get more stuff. And, and when, you, when you, uh, you go, well, I'm, that's, that's not me. I don't really think. Well, let me, let me ask you this. When you think about your tax return, do you think, oh, once I get my tax return, I can buy you might be a consumer if <laughs> you're thinking when the tax return comes in, I can use it to make the down payment on something that I can then begin to make payments on. When, when, when my tax return comes in, or when, you know, I've got this bonus coming at, at, at work, and then I'm going to be able to buy. That's, that's thinking like a consumer. Uh, and it's, a, it's an addiction. It's a powerful addiction. It, it's, it's, it's more addictive than alcohol. It's more addictive than nicotine. It's more uh, addictive than narcotics. Consumerism combines the worst elements of drug addiction and prostitution. And yet it is legal and very much encouraged in our culture. But that's exactly what it is. One rung above the consumer is the owner. Is, is someone who thinks like an owner. And that is stupid on the face of it. Because can you really be said to own something that you have no possibility of keeping? None whatsoever. And, and I don't just mean, you know, well, the money comes in, the money goes out. The money comes in, the money goes No, I mean, you're not going to keep any of it. If the money comes in and the money doesn't go out, you're still not going to keep it. Uh, I've mentioned this, this parable several times lately, but I've got to go here again. The rich fool, the one person in the Bible that God called a fool, the guy who got, uh, had, had a big prosperous year and decided, I'll build bigger barns, that's what I'll do with it. And then God said, well, no, your, uh, your life's going to be required of you tonight. So who's going to get this stuff then? Uh, two things about, about that parable. Uh, money, more money didn't change anything. More stuff didn't change anything. More, more stuff did not make him wiser. It just made him richer. It just meant, it just meant that he had more stuff. He didn't get any smarter. He, he didn't figure anything out because, <clears throat> because more money came in. And his stuff was going to others, not because he was generous, not because he planned, not because he was able to do something with it, but because he was dead. And ultimately, everything you've got is going to go to somebody else. I mean, even the writer of Ecclesiastes knew that. It's going to go to somebody else. One day someone is going to pack all that stuff up and they're going to sell some of it and they're going to give some of it away and they're going to throw a lot of it away. And they might keep a thing or two here and there, but that's, that's about it. And even if you have more money, that does not necessarily bring a better life, but we'll talk about that <clears throat> well, we'll talk about that right now. Money, money does not relieve worry. You know, I mean, you, 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 sometimes people think, man, if I had, you know, if I just had more money, I wouldn't worry as much about stuff. Oh, you really? 
You just don't know because you absolutely would. In fact, people with more money tend to have more money. And then how many, how many people know that money can't buy me love? Everybody tells me so. Some of you aren't old enough and <coughs> cool enough. Uh, but, but money can't buy love. It can buy sex. Kids are all gone, right? But it can't buy love. Can't make love happen. Money does not generate more self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, not a product of money. Money cannot generate more contentment in our lives. You know, it's not like, well, I'm pretty content right now because I got money. No, if you don't have money before, if you don't have contentment before you have money, you're not going to have contentment once you get money. Paul said, you know, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Whether I've got a lot, whether I've got a little, because whether I've got how much I have has nothing to do with the level of contentment in my life. Money does not generate more discipline. In fact, I would actually say that money encourages less discipline. You know, some, some of us don't have money because of the trouble we would get in if we had it. Because of what we would be likely to do with it if, if, if we had it. And so God, in His infinite mercy and grace, has withheld money from our lives, and the devil's trying to push that stuff in there. Because it doesn't, it doesn't generate contentment. Now, sometimes... And in terms of discipline, sometimes what it actually generates is a, a counterfeit of discipline called miserliness, which is really a, a soul-shriveling thing in a person's life. Did I mention that we are auditioning for Christmas Carol today? <laughs> okay, yeah. The top rung of the ladder is a manager. And, and that's the word that we would use. Uh, an older word and a better word is, is steward. steward. A steward was an extremely exalted position. The steward ran everything. Joseph was the steward of, of, of Egypt. Pharaoh was the king. Joseph was the steward, though. Uh, he, was the one, he was the one who controlled all the stuff, and that's what, a, that's what a steward does. That's the one who makes the decision. The steward doesn't own the stuff. And let me just tell you, it is, so, it is far easier to be in the second seat than it is to be in the first seat. The first seat's a tough place to sit. You know, when you, when that's, when you, when you occupy that position, that's, that's, all, all the weight is on there. Second seat, you can kind of go, well, he, he said it, you know. That's what, that's what he did. Yeah, told me, told me to do that. I'm just, I'm just doing my stuff here. But if you're in a second seat and the first seat is occupied, and I, and I know sometimes jerks can occupy the first seat. Let's just use that term, okay? And that, that's, not, but we're, that's world stuff. Uh, in reality, in our own lives, if, you're, uh, if the first seat is occupied by somebody who's a lot smarter than you and really is, and cares a lot more about the people around you and about you than they care about themselves. If you got that kind of person occupying the first seat, second seat is a wonderful place to sit. Now, who do we know that might be like that? 
who, who, who do we all know that's maybe a lot smarter than any of us sitting here and maybe actually cares about me, you, more than they care about themselves? So here's a question. When it comes to money, who's in the first seat in your life? Who is occupying the first seat? You or God? I would suggest that whoever is occupying the first seat regarding money is also occupying the first seat regarding everything else in your life. Whoever has that first seat has the rest of it. Um. Lord of the Rings, a lot of you have seen that movie or you've heard, you've heard of it, right? It's pre-Harry Potter stuff. Uh, the stewards of Gondor, they were, they, uh, the, the king had been out wandering and when the king finally came, they wouldn't give up the seat because what was revealed was they had suffered decline and insanity because they only pretended to fill the second seat. Wouldn't sit up in that chair. No, I'm sitting here, you know. But in their hearts, they were in the first seat. Very often, that's what the situation is that we find ourselves in. Okay, let's just go there. Tithing is the baseline. Uh, for years, <clears throat> I've heard arguments. None of them ever made any sense, but I've heard arguments that tithing is only under the law. Rubbish. Tithing isn't even about the law. Uh, it predates the law. Over in Genesis 14, which is about 500 years before the law was given, is, is where we find out uh, tithing. And guess who, guess who is tithing? A man named Abraham, who according to uh, Romans, is the father of all those who believe. Anybody here believe? Okay, your daddy, Abraham, began tithing when he encountered a guy named Melchizedek who is, was a priest and the priesthood that Jesus Christ belongs to. It says over in, in Psalm 110, uh, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And, and let's see, Hebrews, I think that's in the New Testament. In Hebrews, it points out that Jesus Christ isn't a law. He's not in the line of Levi. He's not about the law. He's this Melchizedek guy. First thing we find out about this guy is those who believe tithe to him. Hey, you know, I, that's, I'm, just, I'm just saying. And tithing was endorsed by Jesus. You know, people, sometimes they'll, uh, they'll look at the place where Jesus was kind of over in, in Matthew 23 where he was uh, talking to the Pharisees and going, look, you guys tithe. You tithe on everything. You tithe on your, your, your garden herbs, you know. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. You've, you've neglected justice and, and you've, uh, you've neglected, neglected mercy and you've neglected faithfulness. And, and, he, and he says, you should... You should have practiced justice and mercy and faithfulness without cutting out these first things. You should have done, you need to do it all. You need the whole thing. So, I mean, Jesus gave his amen to it. Uh, so, I, you know, if you, if you want to, uh, you know, if, if, 
I understand reasons why people don't tithe. And and for me, it's always been easy because I was brought up with it. And I hope you bring your kids up with it because they'll find out, you know, if they're given 10 cents on every dollar when they're this tall, then when they get this tall, you know, given $100 on every thousand won't be a problem for them because they just, that's what they do. They just learn how to do it. Uh, But I know that not everybody was raised that way. Uh, and so I, I understand that there are problems for it, but please don't tell me it's because the Bible doesn't say we're supposed to tithe under grace. You know, that's junk theology, or, and that's probably the nicest thing can be said about it, or it's just greed. Tithing is 10%. 10% of what? Well, that's kind of between you and God. Uh, you know, because some, some people kind of go, well, you know, I don't, I don't need to tithe. I, don't, I wouldn't tithe on my tax return because I've already tithed on that money. Well, yeah, I understand that. You know, well, I only tithe on what is actually the, the, the net in my check because, you see, I didn't really make all this other money. Well, I think you probably did. But anyway, uh, yeah, and whatever you decide to do, that's, that's between you and God. I, I kind of, I have found out that it's been a pretty good situation in my life to always be generous toward God. To always kind of err on, on the side of, of more rather than less. And I have found him faithful throughout my life to err on the side of more rather than less. Because with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a principle in life as well. Now, just, just saying that. Can you give more than 10%? Well, of course you can. Now, that's called an offering. You know, you pay tithes because that's what he requires. Anything above that would be a, <clears throat> would be a, would be an offering. It's given. Well, where do you tithe? Now, you know, and I've I've heard people go, well, you have to bring it into the storehouse, and that's the church. And, you know, I, that's what I do, but I don't do it because this is a storehouse. I, I do it because I feel like that's what God has told me to do. Uh, in the Old Testament, if, well, if you want to go back there, the tithes were used to support those who were in full-time ministry, to help the poor and the needy, and for the upkeep of the Lord's house, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple. That was, those were the things that it was used for. Uh, but I don't get dogmatic about that. Whatever, you know, and, and it, it, may kind of, it may kind of sound a little bit self-serving for me to go, you know, for those who are in full-time ministry, that's what your tithes should go to. Uh, you, don't, you don't support me. God does. I mean, he just does. Always has, and, and he always will. So, you know, you can make of that what you will. The tithe protects us. I got, I got to get this going. The tithe protects us against the tyranny of money in our lives. The tithe protects us against uh, a culture of unfaithfulness because we live in an unfaithful culture. And when you, go, when, you, when you practice a spiritual discipline where every week or every bi-weekly or every month or whatever you go, this is what I do, that is a faithful action that begins to build other faithful actions in our lives. The, the tithe uh, pr- protects us against the lie of ownership. Because when I'm willing to give it, then I don't, I don't feel like I own it. You know, I've got I've to hold on to it. As a steward, you're going to need to keep track of God's money in order to fulfill your duty. And when you do that, you'll find that all the rest of the stuff that you got, you're going to keep a lot better track of as well. And then it doesn't just disappear. Uh, And once you're able to do that, then you're able to do the second thing 
that you need to do, and that is live generously. Live generously. Free and, and, and generous. Matthew uh, uh, 10, 8 says, freely you have received, freely give. And that's not specifically talking about money, but that is a principle that pervades every area of, of a full life, of, un, of an abundant life. Uh, I did a series on generosity back in the beginning of 2016, and, um, and I, I'm, I'm just going to hit some highlights, and we're going to go really fast. I'm not going to, because I don't have time to, but anyway, just listen fast, okay? Can you? Uh, generosity. Uh, generosity is not random acts of kindness. It's a consistent lifestyle. You know, when we say be generous, you probably think of, oh, yeah, that time I left that big tip, uh, you know, for, for the waitress. Man, I was so generous then. Yeah, well, that was then. This is now. G- generosity is, a, is an ongoing process in our life. Uh, generosity is not natural. Let me tell you what's natural. Uh, Americans spend more money than they make. That's natural. Um, Americans pay interest on items that are decreasing in value. That's natural. Uh, Americans uh, don't feel rich, but they are. They do feel generous, but they aren't. That's natural. Uh, Some myths about about uh, generosity. One of the myths is generosity is spontaneous. Generosity is not spontaneous. Generosity is 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 pre. You know that's something that a person decides this is this is where I'm going to go. You know uh, if you if you gave a bunch of money because somebody turned the screws and and got you feeling bad about something or you know showed you some pictures and said oh don't you want to help with that you know uh, okay I'm glad you gave the money but that's not generosity. Generosity is generous people are 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 less spontaneous than other people. They're strategic in their generosity, so they can't be manipulated all that easy. Generosity is about cash flow. That's a myth. Cash flow has virtually nothing to do with with a generous lifestyle. A person who is generous isn't just generous when the money is rolling in. They're generous when it's tight as well. They're not generous because they have a lot. They're generous because they're generous. Another myth is generosity is about the amount, and the amount has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with generosity. Nothing. And everyone can be generous. That's one of the reasons why we do the $1 offering thing. You go, well, is that, is that generous? Well, if a person actually takes the time to be sure they're going to bring a dollar because they want to help somebody. That sounds generous to me. One last myth, rich people are generous. Ha! Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. We feel money pressures not because of a lack of money, but because we've never learned how to be generous. And that was really good too. I know you guys are getting hungry, and I know it's close to the picnic, but we, we feel money pressure not because of a lack of money, but because we never learned to be generous. We never intentionally gone, that's where I want to live. That's the address that I want to occupy. How much more money do you need to stop spending everything you make? That's a question. 
Yeah. Self-control is the issue. It's not how much money I've got. It's my lack of self-control. One, one more question. Uh, how much more do you need to stop worrying about money? See, worry is a spiritual problem. It's not a money problem. They aren't really connected. Generosity frees us to, 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 do, to do the third thing here. Uh, think like a manager. Uh, become generous. Generosity frees us to, to uh, put our trust in God. Not place our trust in wealth. Jesus said, seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. All these other things will be added to you as well. A full life. A life beyond money. A life that's not tethered to stuff. Life that's not bound by the balance in the bank account. You cannot be generous until you think like a steward. You cannot live beyond money until you become generous. There's a, a story, it's apocryphal, obviously, I, I may have happened. Uh, the names, who knows. Roman senator, very wealthy man, had one son. And the one son was a very bitter disappointment in his life. He, he uh, had a lot of issues and uh, wouldn't listen, and profligate. Uh, just, yeah. And he had, a, he had a servant. He had a servant named Marcus, and the servant was very faithful. And the servant was almost like a son to him. And the guy decided, you know what? I'm going to leave everything to, to Marcus. That's what I want to do. Uh, but he called his son, and he said, you know, you're my son, and, you know, you have been a big disappointment to me. You won't listen. You won't do what's right. I'm going to leave everything to Marcus. But because you are my son, I'll, I'll, you can have one thing. Just, I'll give you one thing. What do you want? Yeah. And his son may have been profligate, but he had enough sense to say, I'll take Marcus. Once you truly embrace the fact that it isn't mine, but he is mine, and if I have him, I have everything, I haven't come to bring you an agenda. Jesus, I don't want what you can do. I want you. Then you turn the page to better life. Because remember, whoever has will be given more. Whoever doesn't have, even what they think they've got, be taken from them.